You are listening to the Fur Road Christian Church Podcast. Our mission is to love God and love people. For more information about Fur Road, visit furroadcc.org. That is F-I-R-R-O-A-D-C-C dot org. Now for this week's message. As we are going to get into our service today and our message today, I just want to ask this question. I thought about this uh, pre-service that this might be uh, interesting with the amount of people that we have that have different experiences and have grown up in different mission fields and have endured and gone through different types of preachings in some very remote and distant lands. Um, just curious, what is the longest service that you have ever sat through? Don't worry, we're not going to try to break it today if you share it. Uh, what is the longest service that you've ever had to sit through? Because uh, I know that we've had people that sat through services in Africa, in Asian culture, some missionary families, uh, some pastor's kids. What is the longest, and not just felt, but actual time, how, what is the longest service that you've ever had to endure? Or gotten to endure. We can change that. Yes, Matt? Five hours? Okay, that's pretty good. Five hours? Where was that at? Okay, well, that was just one search. Did you know it was five hours going in? Oh, all right. Okay. Did you survive? Did you make it all five hours? Yeah. Five hours here. All right. Okay, that surprises me a little bit. Anybody else? Yes. Four hour funerals. All right. Yeah. All right. Okay, yes. When I was a kid, I was going to the American Christian Convention every year, and it seemed like months before we got out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so different, but each service was a little bit shorter, but the entirety of that was days. Yes, yeah, yeah. Then another day and another night. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay, two-hour Catholic services. Yeah, all right. Anybody else? Gerard, do you have any good ones? Five hours for you. All right. Okay. In Haiti, there sometimes you get together and the just spirit starts moving. All right. So some of you will be able to identify very well uh, with this experience and this chapter and this message that we are going to be talking about today. And we're skipping forward a few uh, chapters. We're actually going to be in Nehemiah chapter 8 today. And up until this point, we've been looking at Nehemiah and his process of being brokenhearted for the nation of Israel when he hears that Jerusalem is lying in ruins he prays that God would provide a way for him to go and help the situation he goes and approaches the king at the right time God makes it all happen where they can go and they can start to rebuild the wall part of that process is planning and seeing what the destruction has been but then also praying and planning how to rebuild the walls and as time goes through and actually, when you think about it, considering it had been sitting broken for decades, the fact that they are able to rebuild it in a matter of 50-some-odd days is a miracle in itself. But we get to this point in the book of Nehemiah where the focus has been on Nehemiah and his leadership and his ability to rally people, the ability to protect people, the ability to, to plan and execute these things that he's been praying about. And in this chapter, we see this transition from Nehemiah being at the front to somebody else kind of taking the lead, especially in our chapter today. 
And we see the person by the name of Ezra. And if you are familiar with the Bible, you know that is also a book of the Bible. We have Ezra and then Nehemiah, Esther, and then Job. So Ezra and Nehemiah are actually both these prophets, both these people who are renowned in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Ezra is more on the spiritual side. He is one of the priests, and he leads the spiritual nature of the Jerusalem. And so we have him who really is focusing on that. So we have this transition this turning point from this physical rebuild of Nehemiah to this spiritual rebuild that is led by Ezra in this chapter. And so we have to kind of put away our tools for a little bit and we get to pick up something else that's a little bit more exciting. But instead of building walls, we're trying to establish something else and and build homes or build lives. And so today we are going to be looking at what the Spirit of God does through the Word of God and the lives of the people of God. And so as we get to this third phase, I guess, of the praying, the planning, and the revive, this is the revival part And we get to see the way that the nation of Israel starts their revival. This is the moment that the spiritual regeneration, the spiritual renewal, the spiritual revival of this nation of Israel who has been broken, who's been desolate, who's been yearning for a connection, to be yearning for this place to come and be able to establish this place where they will eventually know that all this stuff has to be in place for the future Messiah to come. And so for the spiritualness to be a part of that is a big, big deal for establishing and starting the traditions and starting the festivals and starting to really move forward in a spiritual sense to recapture their identity. Because when you think about it, their identity is lock and step with who God is. And what God has done in them and through them, they through them, they are the chosen nation of God. Most of these people feel like they've been a forgotten nation, and so they come to this point where Ezra wants to reestablish and reignite this idea of being together in one spirit. And so as we come into these verses, that is kind of the context that we find ourselves if we put ourselves in this place. And so if you would, just read with me in verse 1 through 3 of chapter 8 of Nehemiah. It said, All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which would be the first five books of the Bible, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So that on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which made up of men and women who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon. So they had to endure for six hours here the reading of the law. And some of you have probably tried to read through Leviticus, and it seems like it takes a lot longer than that, right? Uh, So here we go. We have this idea of reading through the law of Moses and reading about, you know, from Genesis and the beginning and all the things that God has done. They're reading about the things that God does in their history and in these people, some exciting and powerful powerful stories that we find in those books. 
So sorry, going back, we'll start at verse 3 again. He read aloud from daybreak until noon, and he faced the square before the water creek in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people attentive, listened attentively to the book of the law. And so we have this person who is stepping before them. Ezra is this person who is in charge of being able to be the person who brings the nation of Israel back. So if you're going to be able to revive a nation, where do you turn to? I think it's important for us to really be aware of where Ezra turns to as he's trying to bring this nation back. And maybe he's reflecting back on stories that he might have told or heard, like when Josiah wanted to bring the nation of Israel back. You know, and he came to the point where he went and just read the law. And he challenged the people to respond to the law. And so that is what Ezra does here. He goes to the place that he knows that we can have the biggest impact. Something that you really can't mess up is just by going and reading through the Bible. If you want to experience revival in your life, one of the best things that you can do, especially if you have no context, if you have no history, if you don't know where you're coming from, and you want to learn more about God, the best place to start is by going to the source. If you want to grow in your faith, if you want to grow in your relationship with God, one of the best ways that you can do that is just to start digging into God's word. If you look at the times that you were probably reviving and growing the most in your faith, it probably very closely equates with the amount of time that you were spending in relationship with God and spending in committed dedication to reading His Word. Maybe you were doing that in the morning intentionally time and time again. Maybe you just got on fire and like, I'm going to read as much of the Bible as I can. I'm going to read through the entire New Testament in these next couple months. Maybe you said one year that I'm going to read through the entire Bible this year. But I guarantee you that the times where you maybe are at the top of your spiritual relationship with God, it probably correlates pretty closely with the amount of time that you are investing in God's word. And so it shouldn't surprise us that this is where Ezra starts with this nation of Israel. They start by turning and looking at the text. And this is also something that is proven time and time again, not only in our own lives, but also in the history of the church. Uh, looking back and trying to find illustrations of the time that is, you know, we reflect fondly back of times in the history of the nation or of the culture or of the, uh, you know, when was, Amer or when was Christianity thriving the most? One of the times that we saw great revival in the Puritan movement was in the 16th and 17th century. And there was a committed response to getting into God's word at that time again. As we see time and time again through history, not only just as individuals, but as collective presence of our country, or not our country, but of our faith. The time that people commit to restoring and reforming and going and reading God's word are the times that we see the most growth and the most spread of God's word. You know, the times that the, the, the Bible is the most suppressed is the times that the growth is reduced the most. You can see that time and time again throughout history. So as we look at this, we see the suppression of the word of God here in Israel. 
Remember, this is a time where they don't have a lot of access. It's not like they can just go to the library in Jerusalem and check out a Bible and look at all the different translations. They really had a minimal amount of scrolls that they could read, and they cherished those. They protected them. And so being able to hear God's word being read was something that was kind of unique and really a special monumental moment. Can you imagine, or maybe you can remember, Uh, oftentimes the first time that you heard or listened to God's word where you started to understand and you were willing to listen to what it was saying, how it changed your life. I don't remember that moment in my own life. I was young enough that I heard the Bible read all the time. I was memorizing scriptures as a young kid. And so God's word was just part of my daily routine. But I can't imagine what it was like for these people as adults hearing God's word being read for the first time and how much that would have changed their lives. It's no surprise that they were willing to sit there hour after hour after hour after hour just listening to the source of who God was and who they were to God. So if we want to experience revival, and I think that's something that we would all say that we consistently and constantly want for our church, I think that the, the idea of revival sometimes gets put on the back burner, if you will. But if we want to be a church that is praying and that is planning and wants to experience revival, I think it also starts with all of us being committed, just like they were here, to spending time in God's word. If we are willing to read, if we're willing to listen, if we're willing to understand what it is, I think if we make a concerted effort collectively that we are going to be committed to reading God's word in a consistent manner, then that can start to change individuals' lives. And through God's word, he can start to share and change your heart. He can change your mission. He can give you purpose. He can speak to you and speak through you. If we have a hunger and a desire for God's word, it will change the trajectory of your life, but also the trajectory of your church. I remember my life whenever I was not really committed to my faith yet, but I had all this knowledge in there. It was through personal Bible reading. Even That's harder than it sounds at a Christian college because you're always studying the Bible as a textbook. But I got to this point where I actually started reading the Bible for myself on my own, away from all of that. And it was in that process and in that moment, in that search, that God started to reveal to me what he wanted me to do with my life. To go into ministry, that was fed through me doing a personal Bible study on my own uh, uh, for the first time because I just wanted to, not because I had to. I think that's what we see here in this book of Ezra. These people who want to listen to God's word, to be changed by it. And I don't know if they're coming hoping that they experience revival, but that is what they will experience. We see the spark being lit in them, this understanding of God's truth that is going to change the direction of them as a nation and establish the foundation for the Messiah to one day come. And so it really shouldn't surprise us that they were willing to sit there for that long listening to every word that Ezra reads to them from the law. And that's something that we should strive to do as well. 
And going on to the next verse here, verses 4 and 5, it says, Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Uh, and so beside him on his right stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And on his left were Pedadiah, Mishael, Micaiah, Hesham, oh, we're going to skip that one, Zechariah, and Meshulam. And so he has these people, not only is he up there, and I don't know that we have a lot of context on who these guys are. We know that they are Levitical. We know that they are probably priests. I don't know if they're like a who's who and like everybody knew them and that they were like, oh, those are the best priests. I had that guy growing up in third grade, right? I don't know what kind of context these people have, but they have a special place. And it's not just Ezra up there by themselves. And I know in past churches and past places, I think I can remember growing up where you always had the elders and the deacons kind of sitting up back there and maybe that's a little bit more uh, happens a little more in the other churches but that is kind of the imagery here as Ezra is reading from this high wooden platform this pulpit type structure the word of God these other spiritual leaders are there with them listening as he opens the book and we see in verse 5 that Ezra opened it and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. And then they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. This isn't just an ordinary experience where it's like, all right, when are we going to get through this? This was an active, engaged activity. They were part of the reading at appropriate times. They were standing up and amening. And at appropriate times, they were worshiping. And at appropriate times, they were bowing down. And so as they heard the different things, this was an interactive reading of scriptures and how they were going to respond. The Spirit was moving in them and through them. And as a nation, they're rising to the reading of the Word. They're falling down down humbly before God and they're asking God to change their lives they're affirming the things that Ezra is reading and they're being changed in the front of Ezra as he stands on this platform and he calls them together to worship God we have this worship service that is changing the culture of the nation of Israel and it's igniting in them this revival and this spirit of honor and respect and humility because they know that God is going to be working through them. We see the people and how they responded. They thanked God by saying amen and they blessed the Lord. They prayed by lifting up their hands and, and worship and they bowed humbly in the same way in the times to be before God. They lifted him up, but they were also willing to lower themselves. I mean, one imagine as Ezra is reading that and seeing that people are not only listening, but they're responding and they're engaged in the truths that he is sharing, how that must have warmed his heart to know that he was going to be able to, to see the change that God was going to do in them. That it wasn't just something that was going over their heads, but they were listening and intent on doing something with it. It was the greatest connection that Ezra had had to this nation to see this willingness to come to God, to hear his word, to read it and to be revered by it. And so we know from this passage that one of the most powerful things that can come from God's word is that by teaching God's word together can cause revival. 
That is something that I would hope for us and pray for us as a church that we would be willing and be able to teach God's word in a way that causes revival. That as people come in and hear the words, that you would be open and free enough to stand or amen when you need to or bow in response to different things that maybe God is putting on your heart. If people come into a, a church, you know, I think the more and, you know, this is kind of a balance, right? We're more stoic. We're more the frozen chosen than the uh, excited up in the uh, seats. And we have that balance of, like, how do we respond when things are going on? But if we have the Holy Spirit moving in our hearts, I think sometimes some response is okay. That people can see on our face or through our actions that God's word is penetrating our heart and into our head. And so we should be a place that people come in and see the Holy Spirit moving, not wondering if the Holy Spirit's already moved out. Because we see here that teaching God's word together causes revival. It causes a response. Continuing on in the next couple verses, this says the Levites, who are all named here, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. And so they're giving this instruction to them. They read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving the meaning so that people understood what is being read. And this is really where we get this context. This sounds very similar to a Sunday morning, right? Somebody coming up, maybe standing behind the pulpit, but not just reading God's word, but explaining and teaching so that people would understand and as we listen to God's word, that is our hope too, is that we would want and desire to understand. That if someone is, is sharing God's truth, that we would want that truth to penetrate our hearts and that we would want to change that and be changed by it. So as we go through this, we need to understand that God's word can change anyone. No matter who we are, no matter where we come from, God's word should penetrate us, that we should be people that want to live a better life based on the things that we hear read, that we would want to be people who aren't just coming to be entertained or to be captivated by stories, but to have a greater understanding of God's word, that we want to be motivated in a time of praying and having a deeper understanding of God's truth that not only do we go and listen to that text, but then we go home and we read it and we restudy it and we pray about it and we ask to be changed by it, that we wrestle with it and we spend time not just here with it, but we do on our own personal time so that we can get a better sense of everything that God might want us to do through that. We see that Ezra and these other people helped the people understand the law. I know that we are a church that wants to help people understand what the Bible is, what it contains, and how it can change our lives. And I know for me personally, and I'm sure we have other people who are here, any of the ones that teach a Sunday school or lead a, a life group in any way would be happy to answer a question. If you ever get to a point where you don't understand anything that you are reading, would you just call someone and ask them to help explain what that is? I know it would make their day to be able to walk with you in that journey to helping you understand 
Because there are some places in Scripture where things get a little bit confusing, where you might get a little stuck or, or not really fully understand the entire context. And one of the things that we are blessed with as a church are people who know God's truth, who have studied God's truth, who have gone and lived their life out with God's truth. And so we want to be a place where you are encouraged to ask questions of other people so that you can understand what God is doing in his scripture. Because another thing that helps growth to happen is understanding God's word. Understanding God's word together helps God's revival to happen. We see that here, that as they understand, that that becomes that seed that grows into something bigger and better. And in the rest of this passage that we are going to look at, 9 through 12, it reads this way. It says, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy for the Lord our God. Do not mourn or weep. For the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and sends some of those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this day is holy. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and to drink and to send portions of food to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been known to them. Something else that brings revival is responding together. We see in this process and kind of as we read between the lines that sorrow is a result of the, the repentance that they feel as they're hearing probably the different truths and we don't know exactly what stories or what verses or, or what contexts were the ones that really cut them to the heart. But there were moments as they were reading that they were regretting or, or you know, probably burdened. You know, it wasn't just by accident that Israel as a nation had been exiled. They understood, as Nehemiah did at one point, where he starts to weep for this nation, that they had failed, that they had gone against God's truth, that this God who had lovingly guided them, lovingly protected them, lovingly provided for them, who had been in their presence, who had led them out of captivity, this God who loved them more than they probably understood, that they had rejected that that they'd sinned against him, that they'd turned their backs on him, and that there was a separation in their relationship with him. And when there's that separation, relationship can't grow. And so as they're repenting and being restored back into a proper relationship with God, we see that next phase as they start to come back into this place of joy of getting to see the things that God is doing in them. And so we go from weeping to joy and getting to see that God wants them to be happy. That they have this desire to not grieve, but to have the joy because the Lord is their strength. The joy of the Lord is also our strength. 
Nothing can take away the joy of the Lord. It helps us get through those hard times. It helps us get through those difficult times. It helps us get through those moments where we wonder what's going on. But joy also comes when we come to this point of wanting to have a deeper and better relationship with God. We can have joy when we know that our relationship with God is restored. And that is something that we should strive for is restored relationships with each other, restored relationships with God, and that will bring joy. And one of the other things that helps spark revival here, and maybe this is one of the the most fun aspects of this, is that they also have this moment of celebration. We see the celebration come back together, and, and God is very intentional with celebrating different moments. In this moment, we see really the reintroduction of this festival that they had forgotten about, this festival of trumpets. And so Nehemiah and Ezra re and challenge the nation of Israel, go home, start to be joyous, and I want you to eat, and I want you to drink, and I want you to, to celebrate. And that is one of the most fun ways to have a revival, right? How many times do we celebrate different moments through uh, eating and drinking together? And I think it's biblical to know that that's why we do fellowship dinners and other things like that. We're going to have a thanks miss dinner coming up uh, next month that is going to be about celebrating together. It's about eating and having fun together, but also putting Christ first in all of those different things. Maybe this is the part that you can amen the most is knowing that you get to have celebrations. Some of us love to decorate. Some of us love to go and just enjoy festive parties and different things. And God very much is a God of celebration. We see not only this festival of trumpets, but uh, if you look at the Jewish calendar, there's actually seven times that they come together for different festivals. God is a God that wants to bring us together And just like uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas can bring people together, God does this here as they get to have this revival. God points in them the ability to celebrate these things. And so we see this attitude change, one of repentance to one of revival through the nation of Israel. I say that we happens by having this part where we have a teachable heart, right? And how do we get to that place of revival? By getting into God's word, by understanding and listening to it, by being changed by it, and allowing it to start to grow something in us. To be willing to go and share the joy of the Lord with others and to know that he is the source of our strength. And to go and celebrate the change in our life. Can you imagine the celebrations that they had knowing that they were going to be heading in a new direction with a new hope, a new wall that's been built, a new temple, a new purpose in their lives. And in our lives, I think we also can do that. And you know, there's different times throughout our, the history of our nation that revival has kind of come and gone, come and gone. And in our world, sometimes it's easy to forget. And if you look at one of the things that happens in our world today is we have so many different distractions. Even though we live in a time where we have more access to the Bible than any other person in history, that you can go on your phone and find a hundred plus different translations. You can pick and choose. There is no limit to the amount of access that we have to God's word. But we also probably live in a generation that is most ignorant of God's word. 
that we spend the least amount of time training our children up. And I'm just as guilty as that, I think, as most other families here. I remember growing up that family devotion was something that was of utmost importance. We would sit together, we would read and study God's word. And if we did that as a church, if we did that as individuals, that we made it an intentional part of our day to get up, to read God's word, to do it together collectively with people that we love and that we care about, we can experience revival in our own lives. We can experience revival in our homes and we can experience revival as a church. So I wanna put that challenge before you that you would make a commitment to begin reading God's word, that you would spend time every day in God's truth. And I know some of you already do that. This is preaching to the choir. Thank you for the commitment that you have, but maybe take it a step further. What is something that is going to maybe stretch you a little bit more? What's going to be something that maybe is going to reignite your faith a little bit more? What will it take for you to be inspired and feel God's spirit in you? Do what it takes to experience that and start to grow that. And then as we come together collectively as a church, if we have people who are going and celebrating the change in their own lives, as they come together collectively on Sundays, our, our worship sounds different the messages feel different, and the impact that we have on our community is different. And so I would just ask that we begin today. I want us to be a, a church that people come in and they experience the joy of the Lord, and they know that He is our strength, and that we are a church that is on fire for Him, and wanting to dig into His truth and to share those truths with others. Would you stand with me as we Go to God in prayer. Lord, we don't know what it was like to be Ezra in that moment as he's reading to this nation of Israel for the first time. But Lord, I ask that you would put in us a desire to be recommitted to your word to be recommitted to studying your truths, that maybe we would take the time to make reading your word something that is going to, to change our life, that we would come to you with an expectation and an expectation that you would begin allowing your spirit to work through us. Lord, I just ask that you would guide everybody in this room to a passage, to a place, to a story, to a book, that they would be able to be impacted Lord, we ask that you would put on their hearts right now a place that you want them to turn to, a chapter, a book, maybe the beginning, maybe in the gospel, but that would change their lives. We ask that you would give them a level of commitment, but also that your spirit would help them to interact with the word, that they not just hear it, but they understand it and are changed by it. Lord, I ask that we'd be a church that is sparked by your word towards revival. Lord, we know that you can do amazing and wonderful and powerful things. And we ask that you would do that through us. May we have people that have a heart for you and have a heart to share your truth with others. Lord, I pray for families that they could gather together, that they could come together and celebrate the changes that would happen in their lives by a renewed commitment to being in your word daily. Lord, we thank you for all that you have done and for allowing us to be your children. In Jesus' name, amen.